Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Pity Me by Bertha Russell, age fifteen. <laughs> Um, this is first published in Weird Tales, November 1925, but you will not find it on the table of contents for that issue. Um, uh, I think the whole issue is pretty much on the PDF page, but um, it doesn't show up on the table of contents because it was published in the letters column of Weird Tales, which is called The Eerie. That's spelled E-Y-R-I-E. And uh, an eerie is where eagles go <laughs> to, I guess, nest. But also, it's a homophone for E-E-R-I-E. Um, so, get it? Weird, eerie, haha. <laughs> it's good stuff. Anyways, I love reading the Weird Tales letters column because you're getting everybody's opinions and you're getting a lot of um, people saying what they like and what they don't like, what they want more of, suggesting other things to publish and other authors. And also you get a lot of letters from authors who are commenting on each other's work and the art that's in the magazine. And it's it it's, feels a lot like, um, oh, I don't know, a public forum uh, from the Internet. You know, that that's how it feels to me. But it's on a subject I'm really interested in, which is Weird Tales. So a few years ago, I found this um, in the letters column, and I was blown away by it and then i promptly forgot about what it what it was called and who the author was and because it was not listed um <laughs> on the table of contents uh for any issue i i basically lost it on my own website but it, it haunted me this story and uh i kept thinking about it and i kept digging trying to dig it out and try i thought for some reason the author was 13 years old I, so I was doing searches for 13-year-old, because I'm sure I'd written about it. But eventually I found it. it uh, but doing enough kinds of different kinds of searches, I eventually found my own notes on it and found that I already had put it up on the website, even though I thought I needed to put it up. That's a long way of saying I'm very excited about this very, very amateur story that didn't even get uh, probably any money paid to the author for it. Um. <laughs> When I told you this, uh, what was your reaction? I don't remember. Well, well, excuse me. When you told me about your excitement or when you told me you know, <laughs> about this well, story? I, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm always pleased by your enthusiasm because sometimes um, it points me at something I had not appreciated before. And it gives me enthusiasm. Uh, and I also just like your bubbly personality, oh, Jesse. Thank you. But I've got to tell you, what I thought when I saw this was, are you sure that this is a legitimate letter from a legitimate uh, reader? Is it possible that this is concocted uh, by someone else, like maybe the editor of Weird Tales? Um, and now that I have read the whole of this thing, mm -hmm. plus the head note, and done a little research of my own. Mm -hmm. To me, one of the uh, worthwhile questions is, how the heck do I know the status of this thing? It's not at all clear to me that this really is a story by 
Bertha Russell, age 15. But it could be. It could be. And I think uh, anything you can do to cast light on how the extra textual uh, surrounding the book, its history and so on, I mean, the magazine can incline us to one view or another, that would be good. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I think we need to read it all and, and let the people who are listening to us have a chance to think about it because um, I can't tell what this story is. So pity me. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident. I mean, uh, what we can't really know exactly what goes on, you know, this long ago when we only have the documents and the documents around it. Um, I don't have any letters uh, with, you know, her signature and comparing it to that of Farnsworth Wright or anything like that. However, um, I've read Farnsworth Wright. <laughs> He's the editor for Weird Tales the majority of the time. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was editor at this point. He, he was editor at this time, yeah. yeah. Um, this came out in uh, Weird Tales November 1925. Um, he wasn't editor at the very beginning, but he... when. <laughs> Get this, when H.P. Lovecraft turned down the job because it would mean having to move to Chicago, <laughs> uh -huh. Barnesworth Wright was hired. Um, and uh, so I've read some Farnsworth Wright. Yeah. I mean, I think he's capable of doing this level of writing, um, but I think he would have done it differently. So there's that. Um, and also because I've read so many of the Weird Tales letters, Letters to Weird Tales. I, 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 I will say that this is the only time in all of the Weird Tales that I've ever read that there was a fiction story wholly included in the Eerie column. I've never seen it before. That said, there have been poems, especially early on, like uh, this magazine started in 1923. There were definitely poems in there. And um, in fact, it started without poems, Weird Tales. And eventually... Um, it became, you know, a staple. You can't really have an issue of Weird Tales without poems. And uh, frankly, I look forward to the poems far more <laughs> in general than I do any particular story because um, po poems sort of require a lot more work uh, line by line, and I can often feel that. Here uh, we've got something that is definitely a short story, not a prose poem, anything like that. Um, but I think I think uh, we'll probably figure it out in the course of this conversation. Well, let's go for it, Jesse. Alrighty. So, um, as was typical in Weird Tales, if the letter was long or there was something that the author uh, had had said that was repeated, the uh, compiler of the letters column—I guess that'd be Farnsworth Wright—would summarize some of the things that the author would. Uh, of the letter would say. Um, here he's actually uh, created a kind of framing for this poem, and I'll read that for us. It starts on page 701 and goes to page 702. We have received a story called Pity Me from one of our younger readers, a story that is altogether so delightful and interesting that we feel we must let you see it. The young lady who wrote it has not yet attained the literary polish and maturity of style that that come only after years of writing, but she has imagination and enthusiasm and achieves a gruesome effect that reminds us of the old ballad of the gray lady who went to church with its doleful lines. The gay lady. Oh, did I say gray? Sorry about that. The gay lady who went to church with its doleful lines. 
On looking up, on looking down, she saw a dead man on the ground, and from his nose unto his chin the worms crawled out, the worms crawled in. <laughs> the authoress is young, very young, but we give her story here in its entirety. And if you don't mind, I'll ask you to read us the actual story. Pity Me by Bertha Russell, age 15. How I love to handle corpses, cold, stiff bodies. That was why I had been an undertaker. Came the day, though, that resulted in my loathing and hating them. The reason for this let me, a wretched, broken-down, white-haired old man, explain to you, reader. It was a cold, wet, dripping, clouded day when the body which was to make me what I am today arrived to be embalmed. The body was of a dark, beautiful Spanish woman of wealthy people. I learned that she had died but three hours ago from some ailment or other. The boss, who was the head undertaker of the place, ordered me to embalm the body and to be ready inside of an hour. I nodded my head happily, for I was not going to handle a cold corpse. Having secured the necessary tools and articles, I entered the gray, musty, tomb-like embalming room. It was a narrow room, with large man-sized shelves running on each side. At the end was a slight enlargement of space, which made accommodating room for a long, narrow black table. This section was lit more brighter. On the table, a body covered entirely by a sheet was lying as stiff as a stick. I knew this was to be my corpse. With one sweep of my hand, I snatched the sheet off with delightful eagerness. A sort of dismayed sound escaped my lips as I viewed the body of the woman. Ah, she was too lovely, too divine looking for me to caress and pet. No, no, I would not let my passion work on her. No. <laughs> so, having prepared my thin silver knife, I began to cut the artery that was customary to being severed in embalming. I know that I hadn't reached the artery as yet. I don't know why, for it was usually done in one minute when my eyes were strangely attracted to the lips. Surely my eyes must be deceiving me, for did they not begin to twitch from one side to the other as if they had tasted bitter salt? The eyelids began to flicker, then the hands began stiffly to open and shut, open and shut. My knife clattered to the floor. Still, I stood there, powerless to run. The features began to twitch also, as if in some agonizing pain to my horrified eyes. The eyelids flickered once more and then opened quick as a bolt of lightning. Those haunting dark brown eyes just stared at me with a look that I don't want never, never to see. You, what, have... You done, the tortured living thing shrieked in a high-pitched tone of voice between gasps while rising with still those glassy eyes fixed on me. I know I screamed. I know I yelled. I know that I fell with something fleshy hurling itself upon me. I knew no more. The boss privately afterward told me while convalescing from a nervous breakdown six months afterwards, to be exact, that when they heard my terrific fear-laden screams, they had rushed in to find me on the damp floor with the dead body of the Spanish woman lying across me. Awful, awful. 
He good-naturedly refused to believe me when I told him the entire frightful story, saying it was my nerves and strenuous work, and to please forget it. But how can I forget it when he himself remarked that he finished cutting the artery? Pity me, reader. Pity me. (laughs) Um. I love this story. It's so weird, <laughs> funny, um, and creepy, and I think it it offers many, many questions um, <laughs> to the mind. Oh, yeah. um, I want to I want to uh, go over one line that I think you read a little bit wrong. It's the this this whole story is full of sort of b- bad grammar. Um, I don't know, just awkward phrasing and stuff like that. I mean, the fact that the boss is called the boss it just doesn't feel right. I mean, I call my boss the boss, but I say it, I say it in a kind of um, I don't know, sat, sat, satirist, satirical way. I don't know. I, I I'm saying it with qu- scare quotes around it. I guess right. Um, I don't think if you worked at an undertaker's office, you would call it um, your boss the boss, but maybe supervisor. I don't know. There, there's some sort of there's some sort of weird sort of I don't know what I'm doing talking about thing that I see in a lot of young people's writing. Um, and the line I want to point you to is it's in the it's the last line of the second paragraph. So you read it as a statement, uh, but it's actually a question, and it's very you don't it doesn't feel like a question until right at the end. Right? I nodded my head happily, for was I not going to handle a cold corpse? <laughs> So, um, if you read it as a statement, I nodded my head happily for I, I think you switched the I and was, uh, for I was not going to handle a cold corpse, right? It's the idea that he, he, that is the unnamed white haired, broken down wretch, right? Ex undertaker, um, is excited about handling warm corpses, but actually he says the opposite. He's excited about getting to do what he always loves to do, which is handle cold cold corpses. I'm going to read it again. I nodded my head happily, for was I not going to handle a cold corpse? It's a rhetorical, right? Um, And then we get the description of the corpse, uh, and it is a stiff corpse, so presumably it's cold. Um, But we have lots of reason to doubt the narrator's... Actually, that's not true. Um, I'm sorry to say I have experience... Three hours is not enough for the corpse. Oh, yes. Oh, you're absolutely right. But I was saying we have reason to believe that the narrator is wrong. Like, for example, this section, uh, it says, uh, on on the table was a body covered entirely by a sheet was lying as as stiff as a stick, right? So rigor mortis, mm, I don't think it's, I don't think it's there yet. I think it's a little longer after that. But you definitely... So I, I, I put this down to the narrator or the writer, Bertha Russell, just not knowing that much about actual corpses, right? Um, so th- that all being said, um, it's a... It's I, a I, I just, I, allow me to say, you're, I agree with you completely. I misread that line. Yeah, it's it, it it's it's right. it's a crazy happily, sentence. The narrator is happily looking forward to getting a cold corpse. Right, right, and and it's there's a lot of lines like that where it, you just read it and you say, mm, 
there's something like, uh, oh yeah, well, here it is, another one just like it. At the end was a slight enlargement of space which made accommodation for a long, narrow black table. This section was lit more brighter. I wouldn't write it that way. No, I, understand, I, I understand what the author is saying. I would not write it that way. Um, well, I'd say brightly, not... Yeah, <laughs> or you just start the sentence in a different way if you don't want to, you know, more brightly lit. I don't know. <laughs> brightly is the, is the, you know, sometimes people don't want to use adverbs for some reason. Okay, that's cool. But yeah, I, I would say this, this needs a little bit of polish. However, um, all, all my complaints about the grammar and, you know, sort of the lack of knowledge aside... Um, I'm not interested in this story for those reasons. I'm interested in it because uh, a girl age 15 wrote a story about being an old man who covets the, I I would say, sexual touching of corpses. (laughs) And that's amazing to find out that people were like that in 1925. And it was publicly, you know, publishable in a way. It's like, that's a shocker. Right, it it just gives me insight into human beings. Is that, or especially the period? And then, of course, there's all sorts of questions. I think the story presents us with, including like, why? Who is this narrator talking to? Talking to the reader? Pity me, reader. Pity me. <laughs> but pity him for what? Right. I mean, who is the audience here? Who is the who is the narrator talking to? I, <laughs> those are good questions, and they're questions that I asked myself the first time I read this. Um, I I have an answer, but it's one that I think you don't favor. Okay. Um, I am glad that you pointed to the necrophilia here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that th- th- that's a key line. Uh, she was too lovely, too divine looking for me to caress and pet. Mm-hmm. No, no, I would not let my passion work on her. No. So, um, what is his passion? His passion is to, as you say, touch sexually. Um, his passion has something to do with becoming more involved with cold corpses than uh, otherwise. And one of the reasons for cold corpses, I think, as opposed to warm ones, is that uh, warm ones remind the the speaker of life. Yeah. And speaker actually loves death. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and that's clear. I mean, it's clear to you and clear to me. Mm-hmm. Um Although the, the, the speaker um, doesn't seem to like adverbs as well as he or she should, um, the speaker sure loves piling up adjectives. Sure a does. Richard down white-haired man, you know, uh, and so on. Lots of piling up of adjectives. But the question is, as you say, who is being addressed? Um, at whom is being addressed? Uh, why is this story being told? Mm-hmm. And here's what I what I think accounts for a lot. Working from the inside out, taking the entire thing as one story, mm-hmm. that is the head note and the poem, as well as the thing called Pity Me. What we have here is someone, and I would venture to say it could be Farnsworth Wright, who did publish some things himself, but they weren't very good. Mm-hmm. Um Adopting a pseudonym, I've been able to find nothing about Bertha Russell except this this one thing. Mm-hmm. 
And I have been unable to find anything called anything like the gay lady who went to church. Mm. But when I was a lad, I learned this this little song, which included the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, they crawl in your stomach and out your mouth, <laughs> etc. And so I looked that up, and in fact, you can find many, many instances of the Hearst song. You can get renditions of it on YouTube right now. Nice. So this nice. poem, The Gay Lady Who Went to Church, it's not, well, maybe it is an old English ballad, but I don't see a gay lady here. What I do see is, on looking up, on looking down, she saw a dead man on the ground, from his nose onto his chin, the worms crawled out, the worms crawled in. This is a kid's this is a kid's song. Yep. It's not an old English ballad. This is something for children who are sort of playing with the notion of death yep. as they are getting to the age of recognizing mortality and they don't like it. So they can sort of scoff at it because they are young and vital. Well, going back to the beginning of the head note, we have received a story called Pity Me from one of our young readers a story that is altogether so delightful and interesting that we feel we must let you see it. Delightful? Interesting? (laughs) Delightful? My God, necrophilia is delightful. And in fact, he gets scared to touch her because she looks so alive. Mm. I mean, talk about an inability to to connect with, with the other. He's so he says he couldn't connect with her. He couldn't do it. Somehow he couldn't open the vein entirely, the artery entirely. And then what happens? The boss does it for him. Mm. So he mm. winds up being enveloped by this body. Mm. Now, the fleshly, the fleshy body hurled itself at him. Mm-hmm. No, if I were being stabbed, I think I would hurl myself away from the knife, right. not toward it. So I think what we have here is a story that includes a headnote, a poem, and another story. Within this larger story, we have the editor of the Airy constructing a narrative of having miraculously, out of the blue, received, as you told us, Jesse, this unique story, the only one he ever printed entirely in the letters column. This failed author, Farnsworth Wright, uh, gets this unique story, and he just has to tell it to us, just the way the narrator of Pity Me has has to enjoy the corpse. But the thing is, if it's too alive, it can't be touched. And so what we've got here is a distancing of the writer from the story. And in fact, he justifies this by getting further away from mortality by saying it's an old English ballad Mm. and then providing a children's rhyme and then saying the author is not not a male at all, but a female. You see, it's all distancing, Mm -hmm. very, Mm -hmm. very young. So the pity me at the end, it seems to me, is... Pity me because the beauty, the thing desired, the thing that I wish I could have and never can, it was taken anyway by authority. And I am left to suffer from not ever having been able to get it myself, but, but learning, learning that it died at the hands 
of my elders. Uh, I think altogether this makes a marvelous revelation of whoever that narrator, that writer is. I'm saying Farnsworth right, but I, I don't know that. Whoever the narrator is of this three-part story and its real meaning is hidden way, way down inside it. Mm. It's necrophilia that needs to be defended against by gender, time, history, genre, everything. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's the only reason I can think of to pity him. <laughs> the Why pity him? It's, it's not a like there's anything wrong. Uh, well, anyway. yeah, so I... I, I I, I think you're making all sorts of great points as to exactly why I, I like this story so much. Uh, all those distancing effects, and obviously, you know, I included that that um, editorial introduction. Um, and I do that whenever I can, because I, I think it framing things in the context that they're written, published, you know, is really important. And I'm glad that you, you found so much richness in there. I, I think, though... There is a, I mean, the fact that the story's titled, titled Pity Me, and then we've got this Pity Me reader, Pity Me. It's like, maybe the assumed audience is like a magazine of um, necrophiliacs, right? And in that case, the, the you know, here's a, here's, a, here's a confession story. I, ha I used to love touching cold corpses, but now I can't, I can't even look at them because... I had this terrible experience where a live corpse, uh, corpse came to life and it just fell on top of me and now I'm repulsed by the very possibility. What if every corpse comes back to life? So there's that sense of, oh, pity me, pity me, reader, pity me. You, can you imagine this? You, you, like me, love to touch cold corpses. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? However... No, this is the same magazine that would easily print Annabelle Lee. Indeed, and there is a. Uh, I always think about this when I'm thinking about the context of this story. There is a, a story from Weird Tales, May, June, July, I think it's 1924, um, called "The Loved Dead" by H.P. Lovecraft and C.M. Eddy Jr. And that story is about a necrophiliac um, uh, undertaker who actually he he doesn't have a problem with live corpses. He because he makes them dead he goes out and kills people just so that he can have somebody to spend time with which is it's a it's a ah. i find it incredibly funny i think it is a master comedy piece um it uh there was some controversy as to whether it actually was banned in some states and uh, caused problems for the magazine but that that might all have been hype um it's hard to know you know in the same way that the orson wells thing you know cause panic yeah. in the streets well it's hard to know now but there were certainly some issues about it at the time and that's that's the sort of thing so this is you're right annabelle lee um the love dead this fits right into the bailiwick of weird tales well the but reason the i mention annabelle lee is because it specifically has to do with someone in authority coming and taking away that's true the object of desire and then leaving the person broken only able to, you know, and so on. So, and it has a poem in the middle of it too. Absolutely, there is there is one other thing that I think is really amazing. It's to think about. Well, the, I want to read the second to last paragraph here. 
He good-naturedly refused to believe me when I told him the entire frightful story, saying it was my nerves and strenuous work and to please forget it. But how can I forget it when he himself remarked that he finished cutting the artery? So uh, the narrator is being told that when we found you, the corpse was on top of you and you obviously had a nervous breakdown and um, the job wasn't finished. So I finished the job. Um, meaning that the boss had killed that woman who came alive, if that story is, I mean, if any of this story is to be believed. The narrator has sort of ignored the fact that a, a perfectly alive person who came to life while started at her neck, right, um, mm-hmm. she started feeling it, has come to life in in shock and horror at what are you doing to me, and then when they found him, uh, they just finished doing the job, a.k.a. killing her. <laughs> and so this is a premature burial story where the horror is not for the, uh, uh, for the person being buried, but rather for the implications for general society. If it is true <laughs> that many people are accidentally taken to the undertakers before their time... Um, and there is this secret society of, of necrophiliacs. There also implied by this story is a secret society of undertakers who are willing to just get the job done so that they can get, move on with the next customer, right? Why, why should we pity the reader? Uh, or why should the reader pity, (laughs) pity me, the undertaker, this old man, when we in fact are now in the position of realizing, oh my God, if I ever, uh, when I die, I might not be dead and then they'll kill me, right? I I just love that extra, extra level of like, why is he so narcissistic? Pity me, reader, pity me. I can't get my jollies anymore. (laughs) Well, there, that is certainly true, but, and, and one could read it that way. One of the things that I love about the story is that one can read it lots of ways. One could, for example, say that, um, He's telling us this, like the narrator in The Telltale Heart, to justify yes. himself, whereas, in fact, he was the murderer. That's right. All right. He did it, not the boss. But he wants to say that the boss did it, but then the boss said to forget about it. So he no longer can function as an undertaker because no one will hire him now that it is known what he's done. Uh, so he was the murderer, not the boss. I mean, there are loads of ways to read it. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we cannot depend upon the reliability of the narrator. We can't even depend upon the reliability of the outermost editor, because, as I said, maybe this isn't the story. It's just the story within the story. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess when it comes to matters of life and death, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're willing to let the buried let the the, the buried lie. There's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.